Welcome to another episode of The Root of All Business. This is your host, Jasbir, and today's guest is Rami Alijo. He's the co-founder of People Processes, a provider of integrated automated HR processes. Uh, Rami and his team work with hundreds of companies across the US, uh, helping them learn how to stop pushing paper and start prioritizing people. His book, People Processes, became an Amazon number one bestseller in the HR category and one of the Inc.com's top 10 leadership books in 2018. Rami, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We are going to touch uh, on a few things, especially people-focused. So before we begin, how did People Processes came about? Well, I've always been a nerd. I'm an academic. I love studying. And, and so therefore, I got an undergraduate degree in economics and finance so that I could sell insurance. It's a big part of my life, uh, like everybody. I actually grew up in insurance. My mother and my grandmother were both insurance agents. I started working at 13, cold calling, selling insurance to people turning 65. And uh, as soon as I got out of undergrad and started my master's degree, I started an insurance agency called Poplar Insurance Agency. And it was hard to start a business at 22. I didn't really know what I was doing. I, did, I made plenty of mistakes. Even though my mother and grandmother had been in the insurance world for a long time, they'd never run their own agency or company. And starting from scratch, it was, I just made tons of mistakes. After about a year or two, I realized the place I wanted to focus in on was employee benefits. I had been selling everything like you do when you start. You don't, you know, you just, um, uh, what do you, who do you serve? Everyone. What do you sell? All the things, whatever you need. I'll, I'll do it. And uh, over the years, I, I realized that place I really enjoyed, who I enjoyed working with were business owners. For one thing, they like to work business hours. No one was asking me to meet on a Sunday morning. But on the, the other part was that they were my people. I, I, I felt their fears. I, I really liked working with them. So uh, for the next two years, we fully focused in purely on the employee benefits space. So I was an insurance brokerage, and we helped companies figure out their major medical, their dental, their vision, 401ks, benefits. About four years in, we realized that our number one service issue was when clients would terminate an employee or hire an employee and not tell us about it. And it was costing us significant labor hours. We had a, a real staff at this point, And the number one, like we were spending on average 30 hours a year per client correcting when they forgot to tell us they fired someone or they hired somebody and they didn't offer them the benefits like they're legally required to. They just kind of forgot. Now it's six months later. Uh, so we kind of had this brainstorming idea of how do, we, how do we know? How do we take this off the employer? And we wound up determining that we could, well, we, we said we got to know what's going on in payroll. That's where we need to spend our time. We wound up acquiring a small payroll company uh, set up, and then we became, instead of Poplar Insurance, Poplar Financial, and we did payroll and benefits together. That was the idea. And it worked well. Uh, it, it, we started growing like crazy. We had a, a relatively unique uh, proposition. Other businesses started getting into that ADP and benefits. They realized that, hey, if we have the payroll, we can know what's going on in benefits a lot better. We can do a lot more. And from there, we differentiated further by actually growing into full HR consultants. So now we were not just doing the payroll and the benefits. We were advising and designing all the pieces of HR around onboarding, offboarding, uh, employee engagement, 
compensation design. It just became a much broader focus. And for the last four years, we've been working as HR. So it's payroll, it's benefits, but it's also the overall structure around those things. And that's when we renamed to people processes. It made more sense than Poplar Financial. So people processes does this whole HR systems from recruiting to onboarding to compensation to performance management, all the way through retirement and offboarding. And that's kind of the structure of what we do now. Sure, awesome. That's, that seems like quite a journey to transition from that to from insurance to, to HR. Now, you see, my experience has been and, and the companies I worked with and work for, I've never had or felt that I, you know, HR meaning human resources has never been close enough to the employees or you feel like, when should I go to, you know, HR? So everything goes through your manager and they don't know much anyway to begin with. Right. So how do you uh, how do you kind of uh, help bridge that gap between kind of HR and then really help employees who are really more care more about their their performance and their their uh, you know their their training and the development and getting on board right and all that kind of stuff. How do you kind of bridge that gap? Well, the short answer is processes, right? Systems allow this to happen. The explanation for it is that most companies they recognize they have to cover their butt when it comes to HR. They understand that employees and the relationships and the taxes around there are liabilities and they can mess you up. So even small companies put a modicum, a very small amount of effort in to make sure they're not going to go to jail when they hire people. And a lot of companies stop there for a long time. They, even at, at scale when they are smaller companies you know, that have 20, 30, 40 employees, HR is still the do the paperwork, don't get us in trouble, keep us from you know, paying a lot of tax penalties or getting sued by employees. And that's kind of a mentality that people have around it. When you work in a company like that, as an HR manager, you're effectively a paper pusher. Your job is to check the boxes and make sure no one goes to jail, right? The problem with that is that you're missing out on an absolutely huge return on investment. Your people are, as a rule in many organizations, the largest or the second largest cost to running the business. Uh, labor is incredibly high. HR can, instead of being a cover your butt kind of department, can instead be a accelerator or a multiplier of your investment in your humans. So human resources is a way to, to think about it, but another way to think about it is every dollar of labor we put in, are we making sure that it's being utilized at its most effective? And the way to do that is through these processes like onboarding and recruiting, performance management, benefits, compensation analysis. Those sorts of things are processes. They're steps you follow and improve over time that increase your rate of return on your labor expenses. And from an employee's perspective, what that looks like is significantly more interaction in improving their knowledge, skills, abilities, and understanding of the company. HR can be in charge of that. And instead of having people who you hire, who learn a job and learn how to do that little thing, probably don't make mistakes on it. You instead have people who are enthusiastic to come to work for you, who go through training, not just in their job, but in the overall company, and are much more likely to wind up in a position where they can make decisions that are more similar to what the business owner would make uh, that are trustworthy. And that's the, the long-term goals that you can implement. So when you, you know when you're in a company that's, that's investing in HR because 
you're going to find that the expectation of you as an employee is to rapidly get to the point that you can be trusted to make hard decisions as opposed to trusted to do that checklist that is your job. Those are the differentiating views of the employee. Sure. So when do, uh, you know, a lot lot of the companies you see, especially corporates where, you know, like you say, HR is more of, you know, cover your butt rather than, you know, someone who can add value, a lot more value and unlock a host of opportunities. Let's take the point from, you know, when you onboard employees, let's take the journey from there. In your your view, where, where... what needs to be done and what needs to be done correctly? And I know when we were having this conversation, you said, hey, listen, you can, use, you can have a system in place using pen and paper all the way up to having an automated complete software system. So, f- so first of all, someone, what size of company do you think should have a HR or some sort of HR in place? I think on your first employee, you need to think about it. First employee. Uh, because uh, your first hire can absolutely make or break your company. My company deals with clients um, that have significantly more employees. Our smaller clients have 20, 30 employees. Average client has you know, mid-hundreds. Largest clients have around 1,000. That's who we deal with mostly because those are the people who are able to uh, invest in designing systems. They get a higher rate of return uh, because if you can marginally improve the performance by 1% of 100 employees, that's eh, worthwhile. Whereas the other way to think about it, though, is that when you're hiring your first person, the actions you're taking with that person are affecting 100% of your labor pool. They are setting the tone for a long-term, how your company's going to work. So when you think about onboarding, for example, the first thing to kind of do, uh, actually get out a piece of paper and think about is, you've hired your first person. You, you spent a lot of money and time, likely, figuring out who you're going to hire, interviewing them, going through the 200 random applications you got because you don't necessarily have a good system for this. So you spend a lot of money deciding who to hire, whether that's money or time. Now that they have, you've decided to hire them, the first thing to do is to get out a piece of paper or a Word doc and write, what is the goal of onboarding for you? Is it to as rapidly as possible allow them to accomplish a single task, a group of tasks, or, to, are they, or do you need someone who can work independently make decisions, manage others, whatever the step, what, are, what is your goal for this onboarding? And think of onboarding as the journey from an enthusiastic person who wants to work from you to someone who can accomplish the goals of the job that you hired them to do. And by looking at it from that framework, it becomes most business owners are pretty smart people. If you think of it as onboarding is that journey from enthusiastic to competent, and you lay out the goals of at the end of this onboarding journey, the employee can do these four things. It will become quite obvious to you what it is you need to do during that time period, whether that's skills training, technical training, or leadership training, uh, understanding company vision, your principles, which allow them to make decisions. Those sorts of things are different things that they may need to know, they may not need to know, depending on your goals. So uh, that would be my kind of even if it's your first hire, before they start, take a piece of paper out and write down those goals. Uh, if you're a larger company, you got 20, 30, 40, 400 employees, take a look at your current onboarding process. You have one. It may not be good. It may be poorly defined. But look at what you do and write out the things you do. And then write the goal of that process and look at what you do and compare it to the goal. And 
What you will likely find in most organizations is that the onboarding process, there's almost no chance that it would accomplish the goal that you write out uh, without some work. Uh, so it, just by examining a goal and what you do now, you'll, you'll wind up evaluating quickly and seeing quickly that there are, where your gaps are. I need to spend more time on this. We need a way of uh, making sure the employee is able to accomplish this thing. They need more resources, whatever it is. And so that's the, the structure. And it doesn't matter whether that's a paper onboarding process or an automated one. The automated one makes it, saves you time. And when you're hiring three people a month, you can't spend 40 hours or 80 hours per employee getting them through that onboarding uh, or 800 hours, as some companies look at when you actually do their analysis, how much manager time and trainer time they're spending on these new employees. You have to figure out a way to, to squeeze that time down. So, but for most listeners, your smaller companies out there, design a structure. I don't care whether you use a great onboarding system, enterprise level that's fully customizable, whether you use Google Docs, or whether you lay it out on pieces of paper and you stand in front of them and talk to them. Over time, you want to move towards an automated system, but yeah. to start with, spend some time on the goal design. So, so onboarding process is pretty much more or less, he's trying to get or giving the employee the best chance to start their journey in the company. Um, in terms of getting the, the, your hires, hires right, what's, what's your view on, because I was reading this about in, in a book called Principles uh, from Ray Dalio, and, and it talks about, hiring people and, and HR and, you know, how to make, how to kind of build your team. And he talks about psychometric tests. Now, a lot of the hiring pretty much that's done is on the basis of skills. You, you know, you, you can do the job and if you're lucky, you'll get to meet the team and see if you can get along within that space of 10 minutes. Some, something like Google or Facebook will have you come in, spend a day with them or a week perhaps, and then, and then take you from there. What's, what's your view uh, in terms of kind of doing psychometrics tests and things like that to kind of make sure as well as the person that can do the job gets along with the team, they're the right fit for the company. Because correct me if I'm wrong, HR, part of HR's goal is to always is to try and get people that fit the company culture. So they have to spend, would you say? Yes and no. Yeah. So if you read, you know, company culture is an interesting topic. It's poorly defined. And depending on who you're talking to, it means different things. The way I define company culture is that they would make that an employee without instruction would make the decision that the business owner or leadership would want them to make. That's culture. I know it doesn't, it's not a particularly lovey-dovey view of culture and we can, we're family and we care about one another, but when you get right down to it, it's about actions. And where culture shows up is when they don't have specific instructions most of the time. What I push back against a little bit is that a lot of times HR books are written or even broader principles are written first for recruiting everyone. And the truth is that different jobs need different people. And when you think about trying to recruit to the company culture to see if they fit, you know, the, what is it? Myers-Briggs, you know, we need yeah. a SJKP person. We need, you know, we need someone who, who has this particular personality. I think in most cases you're, you're, lowering your applicant, your potential recruit pool unnecessarily. Businesses are made up of a hierarchy of people who take actions and make decisions. And in that hierarchy, there should be structures that allow them to make the best decisions and do the actions. The question is, when you're hiring, is this someone who's going to work inside that hierarchy or is it someone who's going to break it? And you actually need a little bit of both. You need people who don't fit it well. 
uh, because you will find often that those people, believe it or not, are the ones who are going to shake things up and, and actually have you grow. So the way I recommend to start a recruiting process, this would be one section. We talked a little bit about onboarding. This is recruiting. A recruiting process normally starts with what we call job analysis. You need to know what it is the job that you are hiring for does. In a large company, they have a process for this, but in a smaller company, it's a little bit harder. It normally starts with talking to people who do that job and asking them to define out the key things they do every day and the, skill, the, the key skills that a new hire would need and the traits of personality that they would need. Don't just have the HR person or the business owner go, you know, bookkeepers. I need someone who's very conservative, who draws inside the lines, who never, uh, you know, who likes to do spreadsheets. Maybe that's what you need. Talk to your bookkeeper. Find out what it is that's, because bookkeepers come in a wide swath and your business is different than every one of them. So if you can, talk to someone who's either already in your organization and do a job analysis. Once you've laid out the skills and, as you, as you kind of said, the uh, personality key features that you need. During interview, I lean against psychometric testing. I know some people, I, I, there's a lot of people who absolutely love them, and I don't have a super strong opinion. But where I actually try to put people in is what I call a 95% confidence hire. Once you've laid out the actual skills you need and then the personality traits you need, your interviewing process and your application process should all focus in on verifying that they have the skills and the personality attributes that you need. So if you need a creative, fun professional, you need to advertise, that's a job ad, for a creative, fun professional. And then when you get to the interview stage, you're looking for proof, not, are you creative? Why, yes, I am. No, no, no. You need proof. You need examples, stories, references that prove that creativity. And your interview process, your recruiting process is one that allows you to check the box and go, I verified with nine out of 10 confidence that they possess this skill or attribute that we want. I find those, that process to be significantly more likely to succeed than a 100-question uh, personality test that allows you to uh, narrow those down. Also, in smaller companies, you don't have a large enough pool to really know big data-wise what it is you need, I think, when it comes to those sort of personality tests. Even 50-man companies, when you hire a new position, it's very, it's very difficult to say whether an introvert or an extrovert would do better in it. You would think many positions are flat, cut, and dry. Salesperson, I need an extroverted go-getter who's going to knock on doors and go out there. Well, you may find that, that an introvert you hire who recently had a young child for the first time, who's quite introverted, doesn't mind knocking on doors and calling people up. They want to make some money. They're motivated to do so. They have the proof in their background to do so. They get tired at the end of the day, but you know what? They work hard and they like it and they, and they follow as a, as, a, as a person who's very checklist oriented. They follow every step, every time. They always log the call. They always good, take good notes. They're persistent in that they don't mind making 50 calls a day because that's their assignment is to make 50 calls a day. Whereas maybe you hire a more extroverted entrepreneurial sales guy or gal, and while they're more charming or more naturally inclined to sales, 
if they're having an off day, they're not going to call anybody because that's how I feel. You don't know. You don't know what's going to work. Instead, you need to think about the skills and personality attributes and interview for those more than a personality test, in my opinion. <laughs> awesome. In terms of, you know, uh, we're talking about it, you know, in terms of bridging that gap, when do employees now, here was my issue. I remember having worked as a consultant in different companies, and I've seen that many times is where employees are, they come in, they're motivated. They, uh, you know, they have given this personal development plan they go through because employees only care about a few things, really. It's just that they get paid on time, hopefully get a pay increase at the end of the year. And, you know, they get trained and developed, right? These are some of the key things that they look at, more or less. And one thing that sort of was training and development where your manager would say, right, you know, we have a £2,000 budget. Either they throw a number at you saying we have a £2,000 budget for everyone to do some training. And we tell you which specific training you can do rather than it being customized. So between whether it's training or it's another issue, when is a good time to kind of skip over your manager or approach HR directly? Mm. And when is it that you have to go through your manager? In most cases, um, you're, you're told to directly kind of go through your manager for everything. Um, and not this is HR. a good point. This is a very good point. I guess my advice to employees, the truth is you need to go to your manager. And if your company is not one that allows for manager skipping, that doesn't have the opportunities in their design to solicit feedback from you, where you can express yourself and ways to improve the company, find a new company. If they're not listening to the improvements that you as a frontline employee can see and they, there's no method for which you to give feedback, the feedback to give is, hey, I need a better method of giving feedback. Sometimes I want to give feedback about my manager and I don't know who to, I don't have a way to do that without pissing everybody off, right? If they don't have that or they're not willing to create that upon your request, then it's time, then, then your company's on the way down. That's the truth. Most companies have structures in place to solicit feedback from employees, whether that is uh, directly to HR, whether that is through uh, a manager's manager review, which is quite common. So maybe it's you do your performance review and your time with your manager in your one-on-ones, but there should be some methodology by which the man- your direct manager is skipped for additional feedback uh, so that you can improve upon those things. Most of my focus is with the HR people or the business owners, and I'm helping them set up the structures so that, I mean, most business owners know the difference between the business owner and the employee is minuscule. The knowledge that you have and the knowledge that an employee has about the inner workings of your company, there are differences, but those differences are, there's no reason that you as the CEO or the business owner are going to have the idea that super improves your business. In fact, it's much more likely when there are 20 brains versus yours that it's going to come from someone inside your company. So not utilizing the brains of your employees is an immediate death sentence for a business. So one of the first things that should be set up in a performance review system or a performance management system is actually the solicitation of feedback more than even giving information. If you only do a once a year performance review, which you shouldn't be doing, but let's say you're one of those companies that once a year you do a 360 analysis of your employees. Think about what the goal of that is, just like we talked about with onboarding. The goal of an annual performance evaluation is to what? Know whether the employee is screwing up? You only know that because once a year you ask? No, you know that already. The goal is to align the vision of the employee with the vision the company has of that employee. That's what an annual performance review is. 
you're actually trying to figure out what is it that the employee is looking to do and what is it that the company's looking to do. And you're trying to align those things. You're trying to say this employee is performing well in their current job and has aspirations to do this job. The company is growing and we have future openings in that position. How do we set goals? How do we develop training and development so that this person can move into that role? Or this employee is performing poorly. Our vision of this employee is likely that they're going to quit or get fired. Their vision is that they're going to become CEO one day because they have all the great ideas. You have to use the performance evaluation to align those goals, figure out what the employee is viewing their performance as and their future with the company and what you're viewing the employee's performance and future of the company is. And that will actually, if you think of the performance review, whether it's a monthly one-on-one, a weekly check-in, a daily standing meeting, KPIs, all your different pieces of performance evaluation are actually about goal alignment. They're about trying to exist in the same reality. Where, what's, our, what's the point we're moving towards? And minimize the difference between what the employee is envisioning and what the company is envisioning. That goal will allow you to obviously see that you need feedback from the employee on where those are. Whether that's conducted by the manager or the manager's manager or the HR department, yeah, it depends, then it doesn't really matter. As long as the process is there and being accurately managed, I don't care. Most of the time, escalations to HR, like when, if you're asking me, when should an employee contact HR? First of all, they should be told that in their onboarding. They should be told when it's appropriate to contact HR. Most of the time, you're looking to contact HR when there's a, a problem that you're not comfortable going to your direct manager with or a lack of clarity about a company policy. A lot of times you don't want managers being the ones to dispense information around maternity leave, discipline, uh, vacation, accruals, retirement, those kind of things, benefits. Uh, You normally want a single source of truth for that. So a lot of times HR is your direct contact for payroll, benefits, retirement, vacation leave, those kind of things. Those are the most common reasons to contact HR. You know, a lot of, uh, um, I've had this conversation with uh, another guest that came some time ago, and we were talking about why, why is it that some people want to run and work for the likes of the Facebook and, you know, Google's the big, the big four. Yeah, as well as taking care of your financial side, they, they have, you know, amazing opportunities and culture on that side. I just want to ask you, how does a well-run HR compare with like the ones we were talking about earlier on, where they have a process, but it might not be a great process. How do they differ and then what difference can it make? So the differences flow throughout the entire organization. You'll find in a poor HR environment, employees, I mean, you know, it's, it's like saying, what do you find in a poor marketing environment? You find no clients. What do you find in a poor HR environment? You find high employee turnover in the company not accomplishing its goals. HR is a key function of a business. So when it isn't functioning well, you see the drag. Just like if you didn't have good marketing, you wouldn't have new clients coming through the door. If you didn't have good operations, you'd have pissed off clients all the time because you weren't delivering on your things. If you have poor functioning HR, what you normally see is unhappy employees with high turnover. That's the, the quick and short way of looking at it. It could be other things, but that's the, the, the number one diagnostic. Should, should HR then you know, hold you know, someone like the managers responsible for, um, so for example, a team has a high turnover, do you, in, that, in that scenario, does HR come in and, and talk to the manager saying, why are so many employees leaving? I've seen that many places happen with myself as well. 
I've never had someone from HR come, like an exit interview of why are you leaving? What can we do to improve? What can we change? All of that they never happened. didn't do exit interviews? Yeah, no, you've never, never had an exit interview? No. Yeah. That, so offboarding is one of the... No, regardless of the size of the company. Ah, uh, see, the exit interview is the most important people process. We touched on recruiting and onboarding, and then we briefly touched on performance management. Now we're talking about another people process. There are only eight of them, but we're covering them quick, which is offboarding. Offboarding is the most important people process for many reasons. The most important reason is that it is the opportunity to learn and analyze where your people processes went wrong. Imagine if you were a, a small, a medium-sized company and you had, let's say you had 100 clients and 10 of them left you on the same day. They all called up, we're no longer working with you. You got two weeks until our contract's over. I'm not renewing. 10 of them in the same day. Do you think the business owner who's, who's yachting in California would drive to those people's houses and not going to be like, hey, why are you leaving? What is happening? I've got to know. It's a huge shock how much money and time you spent in marketing, sales, implementing them, delivering the product day by day, and 10 of them leave in the same day. 10% of your company walks out the door you'd lose your mind to figure it out. And yet, in a 10-man company, one employee leaves. They just call you up out of the blue and be like, you know what? I'm not coming in tomorrow. I hate my job. The business owner goes, well, he was an asshole. (laughs) I didn't need him. But it's the same. It's a one-tenth of your organization that you have spent a stupid amount of time investing in, in terms of recruiting, interviewing, selection, onboarding, training, the amount of time you've spent teaching this person, and yet they've left. And you don't want to take the time to go, why? What happened? Where did we, just like with a client, overpromise, underdeliver? Where did we screw up in our growth with you? Is competition coming that's now making us obsolete? It's the same processes. A lot of, I, I talk a lot of times in terms of marketing and sales because business owners get that. They get operations. They get that I got to get clients in the door. I got to sell them. I got to keep them. And they need to just take that same hat, that same brain and apply it to their employees. When an employee leaves, this is your opportunity to learn what you did wrong. And here's the truth. You did do something wrong. Every time an employee leaves you, you screwed up. Now, did you screw up in performance management? in in their day-to-day operations management, in their compensation benefits? Or was it all the way back in recruiting? Was it a wrong fit from the beginning? If so, why the hell don't you have a process to make sure you don't hire that same guy again, right? The people processes allow you, by having a structure, by having a process, it allows you at the exit interview to go back and evaluate where in your process you missed a step. Just like with a client, if you had spent a lot of time getting them and then when you deliver the actual item, it's all broken when, they, when it arrives, you know the problem is in packaging. You need to identify where in your myriad of people processes did you drop the ball? Can you add a very small improvement? Normally the thing isn't really a, a seismic shift in your company. Where is it that you messed up that you've lost this employee? So... Exit interviews are incredibly important. We actually have on our, well, I'll get to that later. We have a a guide to exit interviews on our website uh, because I think 
it's the number one place that small businesses especially can improve uh, because it's the chance to solicit feedback. Uh, another thing about exit interviews, just as a random aside, people often are afraid to do them. There's this strong mentality, especially in small business, that when someone leaves your company, they are a traitor. They are, <laughs> you know, you put time and money into them and then this guy's going to leave. You know, there's an immediate, and I've been there. I actually, in my book, I, I write about the first time a real long-term employee up and left on me. I cried like a little girl, man. I was like, not at them, but I went home that night and thought, what am I doing? Why is this happening? And within like two days, I was just pissed at them. Just like, you know, they just need to get out of here. <laughs> this is done. Didn't talk to her for six, six months. Now I'm the godfather to her, to her child. She's, it took about two years for me to get over that because I can't believe she left. When people leave your company voluntarily, you fire them, it's a different story. But when they leave your company voluntarily, you messed up somewhere in the people processes or entirely possible, and this is something you need to identify, they have outgrown your company. If you're a seven-man company and you've recruited great talent, Unless you're doubling in size every three months, sooner or later, one of your employees is going to outgrow what it is you're having them do. They're going to they're want to be a manager of what it is they do now. They're going to want to do it. In, if they're more managing your $10,000 a month marketing budget, they're going to want to go to St. Jude and manage the $5 million a month marketing budget. There are many reasons to leave a company. I think one reason exit interviews are often not done is because people feel betrayed by someone leaving and they feel like there's bad blood there. If you go into onboarding and recruiting with the understanding, the truth, that most employees are not going to be with you until they retire. And by most, I mean like all of them. You need to just go in with the understanding that an exit, that them leaving is part of the people process. Be upfront about it. Talk about the benefits of your termination proceedings versus your employers, your competitors. During an exit interview, this is an excellent opportunity to arrange uh, an alumni group, uh, a situation where you stay in touch with your ex-employees. Benefits of being an ex-employee. These sorts of things are things that can grow. An example of this, Ernst & Young, which is one of the big three accounting firms. Yeah, are, you familiar, are you familiar with e &Y? It's yes, a U.S. Yeah, accounting yeah. firm. Okay. How many of their, I mean, I don't know how many employees they have, probably in the tens of thousands. How many of their employees do you think worked for them, quit, and have come back right now as a percentage? How much of their workforce is people who quit on them in the past? Oh, my, my guess would be um, 30%, perhaps? 20%. It blows me away. I was shocked by that number. 20%? Ask a small business owner, every person who quits, one out of five of them is going to come back to you in three years and want to work for you again. They wouldn't, they wouldn't believe you. They wouldn't believe you. Most of them don't think about it that way. Uh, exit interviews are, what did we do wrong? What can we learn? How can we improve our people processes? And they're an opportunity to establish an alumni network. And, and it, uh, that sounds very formal, but to maintain good relations with your ex-employees, who are people who know your company, who liked your company enough to work for it for quite some time and are now your ambassadors to a broader marketplace and have a decent chance of coming back and being the perfect employee in just a few years. So I can't stress how important exit interviews are. <laughs> Do them. Awesome. With, for example, now, you know, um, you, you go to an organization uh, where, where you see these processes are in place, but they're, they're not, they don't have the desired effect. 
And mm. how much of it can you fix by training and development? You know, you have certain people in the UK it can be very challenging and difficult to get rid of people that are not a good fit, that don't want the same thing, that just have the mindset, I'm getting good money here. I'm going to milk it as much as I can and I'm going to leave or something else better comes out. Go. Ideally, you do not want people like that in your organization. You want someone who wants to work here at the same time. You know, it's give and, give and take. Right. How much of it can you fix by training and development? Training and development is one, is one right. process. It may be the problem. The problem may be at recruiting. The problem may be at training and development. It may be at performance management, your, how your managers interact. It's hard to say. What I would say is that in those organizations, oftentimes, because those are often legacy organizations, it's rare that you have a two-year-old company that's like got a bunch of people who are like, this is the job. I show up, they pay me, and I leave. Uh, it's normally yeah. older organizations that have that problem. For them, I would recommend if they can, however they budget it, I would, I would have them look at, all, I know this is a weird answer, but automate as much of the HR processes as you can. And automate makes it sound bad. I don't mean that they only talk with computers, but minimize the labor cost in terms of hiring an employee so that it's as automated as possible and free the people. And the reason I say this is because in legacy organizations, a lot of times the act of hiring somebody or training somebody is highly labor intensive. They've been doing it the same way since the mid nineties. So by automating those spots, those, those processes, you free your HR people to work on improving those processes. It's kind of like your HR people are spending all day, every day, a lot of times in those organizations doing grunt monkey work that in a 40-hour work week or a 50-hour work week, they're spending 36 hours doing the same thing every week, week in, week out. That is a strong sign that you need to automate because once you have that, that volume of work, investing in automation saves you a ton of time, but most importantly, allows your HR people to step back and instead of working on those rote tasks, work on improving each one of the processes from recruiting to onboarding to compensation to benefits to performance management, training and development, whatever it is, whatever the processes are, by having someone work on them rather than in them, business owners will recognize this concept. If all you do every day is work inside your business, your business is going to die. It's not improving. HR and every other process is the same way. But for some reason, HR often gets, this, gets the short stick. It's like, oh, HR is there to get done, do all the paperwork. Instead, if you can get your people to focus on improving those processes, you'll have outsized results. I can't say that unmotivated employees comes from a lack of training and development. It may be that it comes from poor recruiting. It may be that from the moment they're hired, they're treated like crap. That's an onboarding right. problem. It may be that your managers who are supposed to be providing consistent feedback every week or month on performance and should have the authority and ability to enforce those, that feedback doesn't, doesn't care. I don't know if it's performance management. It may truly be, though, that you just haven't trained them right and they don't know how to make the widget or sell the client or do the bookkeeping or whatever it is your organization does. But I often find that people focus a lot more on the training when it's actually a other people process. Right. I'd start with exit interviews to figure out where your biggest need is. Because those companies, you got people quitting. So ask them why they're quitting. Sure. Well, we're now coming towards the end of the show. It's been very interesting talking to you so far. 
any any final thoughts on on someone kind of uh, you know if it's a big organization they can they can probably hire a company like yours to come in and have a look and what's going on and help them out. And you mentioned if you should start looking at from your first employee, start looking at the HR process. How how does one do that? If you're a small company with hiring, you know, let's say five to ten employees, you don't have HR in place yet. You're trying to do everything yourself. Have your partner or a PA, yep. someone do it. Um, how do you um, how do you start something like that? How do you get in touch and begin this process? Well, you know, like I said, we work with smaller companies too. The way I let me first do a shameless plug. My book, People Processes, is not long and it lays out uh, the last three chapters are step by step where to start with evaluating your people processes, putting systems in place, and improving them over time. So I've laid all this out in a book. People Processes may want to check that out. The book broadly lays out a se- selection of eight different people processes, has you and, and provides Uh, ideas on goals for each one of those processes, and then the common steps involved in each one. And then you can evaluate against your own performance. The time involved in this is actually not high. It's more important to have a process and follow it than for the process to be good. Because the cool thing about processes is that you can improve them over time. Whereas if you just do a thing by the seat of your pants every, every time you need to do it, you just do it you have no consistency and you can't go back and figure out where the problem was. So to me, the start is to identify these key people processes and make a very brief, what is it you do and create those processes. Now, one of the first processes you need in any business is the process for creating processes and systems. Uh, There are great people out there for that. Personally, the way I do it, the name of my company is people processes and I hate writing knowledge base articles and people pro- and process guides that is the blow my brains out so the way i do it is i always do it via interview pick an employee pick a va you know hire a, a indian or filipino va and bring them on whatever you need to do and say today we're going to talk about how we recruit people and have an interview with them record it on skype or uh, zoom or just talk with them and then say, tomorrow, I want this written out as a process. Send it back to me. Look it over. Have another interview. And then, if, it's, if you have a large enough organization, send it to someone who was not involved in the process, in the interview, and have them look it over and give feedback. It's not that hard. You can, you can create processes for your entire organization. As a business owner who doesn't like to write stuff down in 20 minutes a day, if that, for a couple weeks, you can get all your people processes figured out and written out just by having someone interview you. And then they'll have an understanding of it too. So that's one of my first ones. If you need help on that, at people, do you mind if I give a plug? Uh, of course, just, yeah, we'll go for it, yeah. At peopleprocesses.com, we're actually going to have a uh, link. Let me make sure I've got it right here. It is- I'll put it in show notes as well. Yeah, it's uh, uh, peopleprocesses.com slash root of all business, right? And uh, yep. link down there at the bottom. And on there, we're going to offer three things. You hop on there, you get the first three chapters of my book emailed to you directly. That covers what are the key people processes, why are they important, and how do you get started. It also has access to all of our subscriber-only content on there. So you'll be able to get a copy of our exit interview guide, our onboarding checklist, our basic performance management tools. Just gives you kind of a selection of those things. And then we'll also email you a discount code for 50% off if you want to check out one of our deep dives. We have 
one-week courses on each one of the people processes that take four to six hours, where we start with under explaining what they are, the legal and compliance aspects of it, and then we actually do the exercises. So at the end of that course, you have your onboarding procedure done. You have your offboarding procedure done. And uh, so we'll send all of those to you. Again, peopleprocesses.com slash root of all business. And uh, special on there for your three chapters of the book, subscribe, uh, subscriber-only free resources, and that coupon code will get emailed to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. I'm excited. I, I look forward to hearing from your audience. If you all need anything, please reach out to me. You can find me at peopleprocesses.com, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm on there. If you email us and ask for me, Rami, you'll get a reply from me. We're not that big that uh, I can't reply to emails. So just drop me, drop me a line anytime. Awesome. Thank you, Rami. I hope you got some great value and insights from this episode. If, and if you're someone who wants to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur, then I have some great free resources for you. If you visit www.jazbearaurora.com, that's www.jazbearaurora.com, and drop me a line, I will send you an ebook and also a one-hour masterclass. And also, um, go and take the Escape the 95 survey, uh, which will help you understand where you are right now um, and where the gaps are in your knowledge to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur. And if you're a business and you need help growing or if you have any uh, issues that you'd like to discuss, then yeah, once again, visit the website and I'll be more than happy to help you. Thank you for listening.